Well, my goodness, thank you. That was uh, very, very meaningful. I've been reading, interestingly enough, through the book of Exodus, just uh, devotionally reading through it, and it keeps talking about Moses and his staff, so that's a particularly meaningful gift this morning. Thank you so much. And uh, fitting, you know, really, that my last sermon here for a while uh, comes this week, because this week marks my ninth anniversary here at Trinity. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to say how grateful I am for the uh, support and the prayers, the words of encouragement uh, over the years, but especially in this in this last season and, and even this morning. And uh, I should say a special word of thanks to my family watching at home and uh, all their sacrifice over the years, and, and particularly in this last season as well. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I'm really excited to see what God has next for us here at Trinity. I know His heart, I know His heart is to increase our impact in this valley and help even more people uh, take next steps on their path to becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus. So I'm excited to see what God has for us. And, and in some way, our passage this morning really helps us understand that, that heart of God. We're going to finish up our series exiles this morning. Won't finish the book of First Peter, but uh, we still will learn about Christ, about His heart for us and His heart for the world. So we're just going to dive on in. And uh, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. It starts off this way, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. So just a few things right off the bat here. Once again, Peter reminds us of our status as strangers and exiles. We've talked about it quite a bit throughout this series. That identity is really critical for us to understand. It colors everything we think about how we, we live in the world today. And certainly, it's the sense by which we have to view our passage today. We're strangers and exiles. And throughout this book, Peter reminds us over and over again of that identity. And suffering, difficulty, that's a major theme of this book. In fact, that word for suffer or suffering shows up 16 times in this little letter. And, you know, with all the talk about hardship and, and suffering, you would think that the letter would be full of sympathy and comfort. And there's some of that. We've seen some of that already. But more than that, Peter spends his time reminding us of our identity, strangers and exiles, and then telling us what to do as a result of that identity. He says repeatedly, this is who you are, and here's what you should do about it. So the letter is really a call to gospel busyness. Because you've been given this identity by Jesus, now go about your Father's business. And that's exactly what Peter tells us in our passage today. He confirms this status, this identity for us, right in verse 11, exiles, because we've been made citizens of Christ's kingdom, we're exiles in this world. And then he encourages us to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles, among the, the native-born folks. And why should we do that? Because when, not if, but when they slander us, they'll observe that we live by a different set of rules. And we'll get to that uh, honorable conduct, that new set of rules, we'll find out what it really looks like. But, but the key right here is when, not if. Not, it might happen, but it will happen. It has happened. It will happen again. So if you're in exile, you're going to be treated like one. 
And that's a problem because things are really hard for exiles. Again, all through this letter of 1 Peter, suffering is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, That's a problem we have to deal with. And yet we're not without hope. Suffering is our problem, but Peter tells us the solution, the way to deal with the when, not if, is to approach the difficulty and hardship, but even suffering, the way to, 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 to solve it is to do good works, he says, right in verse 12. That's the solution. And those good works, that honorable conduct, that's the focus of this whole next section of Peter's letter, and that's what I want us to focus on today. How do we go about our Father's business? What are these good works that Peter gives us to do? Understanding his solution unlocks a key for how we live as strangers and exiles, especially when the world turns against us. And before we get to those good works, though, before we unpack that solution, let's talk about our own natural response. When we're slandered, when we face conflict, when people talk behind our backs, if somebody threatens our livelihood, how do you respond? Think about that for just a moment. How do you naturally respond when you're challenged? Or as my wife likes to say, when you're squeezed, what comes out? Well, for most of us, things get pretty nasty pretty quickly. The internet these days is full of Karens, folks who let their natural reactions get the best of them, or our natural response, our our knee-jerk reaction tends to fall into one of three categories. First, we might attack. We play the blame game. We might blame other people, throw blame on the person who'd done us wrong, right? We get aggressive. We go after other people. He said this, so I had no choice but to, that kind of thing, right? A second common reaction is a little more passive. We start to feel sorry for ourselves. We wallow in self-pity, try to bring others along with us. We might whine about our plight, right? So we might respond aggressively. We might respond passively. The third category looks really just like a holding pattern. We put our feelings on the back burner. We suppress them. On the surface, we might look calm, but inside we're seething or we're just emotionally shut down. These are all natural reactions. When we're attacked, we're likely to respond in one of these three ways. And in fact, I want you to just take a moment just to think about these three reactions. Which one is your default? Are you a screamer, a crier, or a stuffer? Do you go aggressive or passive? Do you go silent? I want you to just think about yourself and, and, and make a note. You can mark it on your sermon notes or something like that. Just, just make a note. Which one is your natural response? You can just write a one, two, or a three. Just circle one of them on your sermon notes there, but just, just think about it for a moment. Hold on to that as we explore God's Word today. I want you to keep your own default mode in mind as we explore the rest of this passage because none of these modes, one, two, or three, none of them are the good works that Peter talks about here. None of our natural responses are the solution. And i got to tell you, the pathway that Peter suggests, the the solution that Peter outlines for, for dealing with these kinds of situations is hard, much, much harder than our default mode. But that also means that Peter's way is much better because it's the way that Jesus models and he equips us for. So let's explore the good works that Peter suggests for us. Look with me at verse 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. 
love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. There's a lot of things to talk about here, but let's start with the good works that Peter mentioned. And you can probably already notice the key word that shows up three times in these verses we just read, submit. That's the key. When Peter tells us that evil and slanderous people will observe our good works, the good work that he's thinking of is right here, submission. That's the good work that Peter means. Submission is our solution. So let's explore just how deep this goes. Let's bring ourselves face to face with God's Word here and understand what submission looks like for us. And let me remind us again, our natural response when we get squeezed, what comes out of us? It's either aggressive or passive or passive-aggressive. So our default is going to be to find the, the loophole, find a way for us to, to justify ourselves and get our own way. But, but no, you don't understand. I can't wear a mask because... But right here, Peter starts off right away. He eliminates any wiggle room, any loopholes. He tells us, submit to every human authority, period. There doesn't seem to be any exceptions here. In fact, as Peter goes on, he even closes the loopholes tighter. No matter what the, the situation, submission is our solution. We submit no matter what. This is tough stuff. Peter tells us to submit to every human authority. And I got to tell you, when I first had in mind to preach this book, it was pre-COVID. I had no idea how deep things were going to get for us. If I did, I probably would have punted and, and preached something easier to swallow. But Peter tells us to submit to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him. So part of our good work is to submit to the government, both the, the national government and the more local government and now Peter doesn't tell us what to do when the national government and the state government disagree. We're on our own there, I guess. But we are called to submit to every human authority. The ones we voted for, the ones we didn't, the ones we like, the ones we don't, all of them. Right? This flies completely against our natural responses. We want to tune in only to the politicians we like. We want to actively resist the rules we don't like. But Peter tells us that's not good work. He says God's will for us is that we do good. We silence critics, we silence evil by doing good. Submission is the solution. Now, I've heard from a lot of people, I've talked to people about the COVID situation, and invariably, anytime the, su the subject comes up, somebody will say, man, I just hate all this stuff, all these rules and blah, 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 right? Well, there's good reasons to hate it, but everybody hates it. I've yet to meet any person who's like, man, I love this stuff. You know, we all hate it. We're all in the same boat. And maybe we hate it for different reasons, but, but nobody likes it, right? And yet doing good, doing God's will means we submit to every human authority. And Peter tells us why it's so important. He says submission is the solution precisely because of our reputation. I mean, after all, that's why we get so bent out of shape when somebody challenges us. We want to make sure that people don't misunderstand us, like who I really am. That's why we get aggressive and, and all those things. But Peter tells us that it's God's will that by doing good, we silence people who are against us. Eugene Peterson's the, the Message Bible paraphrase says it very clearly. He says, it's God's will that by doing good, 
you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. The, the church, especially the church right here in America, we have an amazing opportunity right now. We have an unprecedented chance to bring God's good news to the world right now. I mean, think about how many churches are online right now. That's an incredible amount of gospel saturation. Anytime you tune in to YouTube or Facebook or whatever, and think about all the opportunity we have. Uh, nobody in the world has any idea what the future looks like, right? I mean, all the best and brightest scientific minds and cultural minds, they're all just guessing. They're all contradicting each other. There's no such thing as normal anymore. So nobody has any idea what the future looks like, but we have a pretty good in with the one who holds the future in his hands. God's will is for us to step up to this cultural moment, this incredible gospel opportunity. And one of the big ways we do that is submission. Submission is the solution that's going to promote the gospel message going forth in this unprecedented time. Now, for Americans, we got freedom in our veins, the idea of submission, it's really hard to swallow. And that's why the next part of Peter's letter is so helpful. Peter goes on in verse 16 to remind us that we submit not out of an obligation to the emperor or human authorities. We submit as free people. So we don't have to go grumbling our way into submission, but it should be an act of joy for us, even an act of worship. Back in the 6th century, the mid-500s, there's a Christian writer who lived in Asia Minor right in the same area where Peter is writing to his name was Ecumenius, and he wrote about this very idea from Peter. He wrote to his church about the idea of submitting, not out of obligation, but submitting as free people. I want you to listen to what he says. We've been set free from the world. We've become citizens of heaven. This verse does not imply that the apostle Peter now wants us to be subject once again to earthly powers and to obey them. No, we're to obey them as free people honoring the one who has delivered us and who has told us to do this for his sake. Similarly, you must not have any kind of evil in your mind like disobedience or hardness of heart. You must not use your freedom as a pretext for refusing to obey. This writer from the 6th century might as well be talking to contemporary Americans. Don't use your freedom as a pretext for refusing to obey. For Peter, for God, the highest form of obedience is the obedience of free people. Think about it. When God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, He freed them. And the first thing He did was He taught them how to obey, how to submit. Congratulations, you're free, now obey me. But God knows something that we have a hard time with. God knows that the obedience of free people speaks so much louder than the obedience of slaves. Throughout this book, throughout this study, we keep referring to ourselves over and over again as exiles, strangers on this journey alongside the natives. But remember, we're also chosen people. God has given Jesus' followers incredible freedom. It's for freedom that we have been set free. And yet the first thing we do with our freedom is we submit ourselves. We submit to God. We become slaves to God, just like Peter says in verse 16, and that allows us to submit to human authority as our own free choice, which means we keep our focus where it needs to be, on God, and we submit as a way to silence the critics and evil people who think there's that we are a danger to society. We submit precisely because we are free. 
So no one's asking you to blindly submit. No one's asking you to ignore God's will and just do whatever the human authority tells us. Instead, God and Peter are telling us to show the world what following God really looks like. It looks like joy even in the midst of submission. Again, the Message Bible paraphrases it well. It says, exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. This is some hard teaching for us, especially hard uh, right now. We're all chafing against the extra rules that have been applied in this season, extra things we're being asked to submit about, things that don't make any sense for us, things that make us uncomfortable, or things that, that rob us from the life we want. I mean, just this last week, we found out my daughter's college is going online only this fall, so my two oldest kids were headed off to school, that kind of meaningful milestone, and now they're not. They have to choose to submit to things that they would not choose for themselves. And the dad and me secretly overjoyed that my whole family is still together under one roof, but, but I'm also heartbroken for them. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's just one of a thousand difficult situations we could point to. I mean, job loss or, or income cuts, so many other things. It's just a drop in the bucket. We, all of us, need to think about our current situation, to think about our lives as exiles, and, and use that as a way to make sense of it all. And how do we do that? Submission is the solution. Submission is the guiding principle that draws us closer to Jesus and that reflects Him most clearly to the world. So I want to give us all some principles that can guide us as we submit. If submission is the solution, if we're going to live out this passage, live out this calling to reflect the heart of Christ to the world that needs Him, then how do we do it? I want to give us three guiding principles. The first principle is this. Submission starts with the heart. Submission starts with the heart. And I think the key to keep in mind all these situations is that we're submitting first and foremost to God Himself. Not just submitting to human authority, but we're choosing to submit to God. That has to be the starting attitude of our hearts. Trusting God giving ourselves to Him first, and then we're willing to do whatever He asks. So we're not just giving up our rights, we're not just blindly following human authority, but we're submitting from the heart to God. We're saying to Him, yes, make me more like Your Son, Jesus. We increasingly learn to serve Christ, to please Him. Submission starts with the heart. And as we submit to Him first, then He empowers us to say no to our self-will, to self-striving. He empowers us to say no to aggressively enforcing our rights or self-pity. We align our hearts to His and we can say yes to a purposeful life for God, a life that embodies the, the clarity, the conviction, the integrity, the wisdom, the forgiveness and grace and patience and self-giving love that Jesus models. Submission starts with the heart. The second principle for us is this, just because God asks for submission does not mean that God endorses every ruler or every law. So there's a, there's a tension, a real tension with the truth that God is sovereign and He's in control of our world, combined with the fact that there are things in the world that happen that God does not approve of. There's a tension here. God does not desire evil, but He does allow it. That's why the death and resurrection of Jesus is such good news, because even in what is an evil act, the, the, the brutal execution of an innocent man, even in that, God is bringing about His plan to eradicate evil once and for all. And the reality of that 
is that just because something exists right now doesn't mean it's the way that God ultimately wants it to be. That means that just because God asked for us to submit to every human authority doesn't mean that God endorses every ruler or every law. But God asks us to submit, not because every human authority is honoring to Him, but He asks us to to submit so that the world can see His character in us. The pinnacle moment of Jesus' earthly ministry was His submission, His willing submission to God. Even though Jesus was arrested and killed, He makes it very clear that He was willing to submit. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. When we willingly submit even to an unjust human authority, we reflect Christ to the world. Charles Parkhurst was a pastor in New York in the early 1900s, and during his ministry, he preached and he called out a lot of the injustice and the corruption of the government at that time. So he devoted a lot of his ministry to to fighting against a corrupt government which makes his words that I'm about to share with you that much more potent. A person who spent a great deal of his ministry fighting the government, he says this about the example of Jesus. Jesus said, the cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? This was a greater thing to say and do than to calm the seas or raise the dead. Prophets and apostles could work wondrous miracles, but they could not always do and suffer the will of God. To do and suffer God's will is still the highest form of faith, the most sublime Christian achievement. He goes on, to have the bright aspirations of a young life forever blasted, to bear a daily burden never pleasant and to see no relief, to be oppressed by poverty when you only desire the good and comfort of loved ones, to be imprisoned by some incurable physical disability, to be stripped bear of loved ones until you stand alone to meet the shocks of life, to be able to say in such a school of discipline, the cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? This is faith at its highest and spiritual success at the crowning point. Great faith is exhibited not so much in the ability to do as to suffer. Even a person who champions social justice understands that submission, suffering, is at the heart of Jesus' ministry. So for us, we can submit freely as free people, and we can do so even though there are human authorities that are ungodly. And just to drive the point home for Peter, as he's writing these words, the Roman Empire, they took as much as 30% of a person's income in taxes. That's even higher than Oregon. Some of that tax money in the Roman world went to fund pagan temples. So, you know, we complain about taxation without representation, but Peter, he would break his back fishing all night only to have his hard-earned money go to support the worship of false gods. And that's not even the worst of the injustices, not even by a long shot. Nero, the emperor at the time, he was famous for his abuse of Christians. You've heard about the killing of Christians for sport in the Colosseum. One of the other things that Nero would do is he would douse Christians in oil, impale them on sticks, and then light them on fire in order to light up his nighttime garden parties. It's sickening and it's senseless. And yet Peter, knowing all this, says, submit to the emperor as the supreme authority? 
the only way he can say that, the only way we can obey it, is to realize that just because God calls us to submit doesn't mean he endorses every ruler or every law. It means that our act of submission, our obedience to God, is an act of faith. Perhaps our greatest act of faith, as Charles Parkhurst said, fully entrusting ourselves to God and to his will. That leads us to the third and the final principle for us as we come to terms with submission as our solution. The third principle is this, don't forget our freedom. Our freedom in God is perhaps the most critical piece of how we can relay, uh, really put this into practice. Uh, how we can say submission is the solution, it's only because we're free. We're free to choose to submit. We submit because we can. And that freedom gives us an amazing ability, the ability to rejoice even in hard times. We can worship, we can experience joy even while we're submitting because we know we are free people. I love these words from uh, Pastor Oswald Chambers. He says, our Lord never insists on having authority over us. He never says, you will submit to me. No, He leaves us perfectly free to choose. So free, in fact, that we can spit in His face or we can put Him to death as others have done, and, he, and yet He will never say a word. But once His life has been created in me through His redemption, I instantly recognize His right to absolute authority over me. Then the whole attitude of our life is one of obedience to Him. If our Lord insisted on obedience, He would simply become a taskmaster and cease to have any real authority. He never insists on obedience but when we truly see Him, we will instantly obey Him. Then He is easily Lord of our life, and we live in adoration of Him from morning till night. When we submit, we do it as free people, not forced to submit, but willing to submit. We can't forget our freedom. So this is challenging teaching for us, and that's why I want to leave us with some encouragement. When our natural response is not the response that God desires for us, it might leave us feeling a bit helpless, a bit overwhelmed. This kind of faith, this kind of submission might seem like it's just too hard for us. And if you feel like that, good. If you feel like that kind of submission is too hard, you're right. And that's why I want to remind us that we're not alone in this. We're not the only ones who have had the opportunity to choose to submit. In his letter, Peter goes on to encourage us with the example of Christ. Look with me at verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in His mouth. When He was insulted, He did not insult in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but He entrusted Himself to the one who judges justly. So Jesus, King of the universe had no reason to submit himself to the authority of others. And he certainly had no reason to submit himself to the ungodly systems and structures that were working against him in his mission. He had no reason to submit himself, and yet he did. He chose to as an act of freedom to submit himself. He willingly suffered. And his example, not resorting to aggressive action or passive self-pity, any other tactic, his example should encourage us to resist our own natural responses and choose to submit to God. It starts with our hearts following the example of Jesus. And even more powerful than His example is why He chose to submit. Jesus didn't submit simply in order to show us how to do it, not just to leave us an example, but He submitted His will to God for our sake. 
He drank the cup his father gave him for our sake. Peter goes on to share this in the very next verse, verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus doesn't just call us to submit and then leave us an example. He calls us to submit following his example, and then he empowers us to be able to do it. When we submit, it starts from our heart because God has changed our hearts. We've been made dead to sin so that we might be alive for His righteousness. Not living in the old way, not our natural response over and over again that gets us nowhere. We've been given new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. His submission work empowers us to go and live like Him. At the heart of the gospel is the reality that Jesus' followers, we've been changed by God, changed right to our core. Just as Peter has been telling us over and over in this book, we have a new identity through Christ. And now what are we going to do with it? The gospel is a call for every single one of us to die to ourselves so we can live for Him, living out His mission in our world. The gospel changes us. It takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, a heart that's willing and able to submit ourselves to God and to submit ourselves to His way of living in the world. So we began our time this morning thinking about our own natural responses. When things get hard, when you get squeezed, what comes out? Maybe for you it's that aggression, turning the blame on other people. Maybe for you it's that passive retreat, turning, yourself, uh, turning into yourself in unhealthy ways. Maybe for you, you just lock up, you won't let anybody in, you stuff all your emotions, fight, flight, or freeze. But he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I want you to look at the, the one, two, or three, the default mode that you identified for yourself earlier. I want you to just scratch it out, just cross it out, just erase it. Jesus' work on the cross, his submission gives us new life, a new identity, a new way that we can live in the world. We don't have to live only with our natural responses. We have the ability to follow Jesus' example, empowered by him and submitting to his will. Let's pray. God, we confess that uh, over and over again, we want to defend ourselves. We want to uh, affirm our own uh, self-worth, and yet nothing gives us more worth than what you have done for us, the gospel change that you have uh, accomplished on our behalf is so much better than sticking up for ourselves, trying to assert our old ways into the world. And even though it's hard teaching, Lord, we know that you have not only set us an example, but you've empowered us to be able to submit, to live as servants of all because we're free, free from this world, free from the, uh, the challenges of sin. We're dead to sin and we're alive to your righteousness. And we praise you for that this morning. And I want to pray especially for the person who's watching or who's listening, who hasn't... Uh, 
had that transformation happen in their life. They haven't submitted themselves first and foremost to Jesus. And I pray that you would uh, awaken in that person what's needed for them to be able to, uh, to see who you are truly, what you've done for us, and to be able to embrace that and accept it, to see that heart of stone in them become a heart of flesh because you've changed it, Lord. And we pray that you would uh, continue to guide our church as we walk this path of being more and more like you, becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus, Lord. We know that we need not just your example, but your empowering Holy Spirit. And it's by that Spirit and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.